In this episode, we've got a grab bag of topics, including when to worry about scaling, an argument against delegation, and a few shout outs. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up, Tyler? Uh, just just had a good day. I feel like the um, like the fellowship, uh, the, the people that I'm teaching how to code have hit a point where they're doing cool stuff, and it's just it's very cool seeing them actually build stuff. Anyway, how are you what doing? Are they, what kind of stuff are they building? Tell me more. <laughs> well, yeah, so we're just teaching them basic like CRUD development, like or uh, web development, building CRUD apps. So, but today, like in the past, every time I met with one of them, it was like, "Here's how you do this thing." I have to teach you all the concepts. And now they're a few weeks in, and I just had a meeting with someone, and it was like, "Okay, here's the next step." And she was like, "Okay, so I need to do A, B, C. I don't know how to do D, but I'll look into that." Like she just knew how to do it. And I was like, oh, people learn things. That's very fulfilling. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, how do I sound? I got a new mic, the same mic, but a slightly new setup. I think you sound good. I sound okay. Yeah. I got a cloud lifter. I used to have a DBX286S. <laughs> now I'm using a cloud lifter. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> have you been disappointed with how you sound? Uh, well, so I've had two of these now. They start out really great. The, the, the old thing I had have like all these knobs and you can t- turn them and make yourself sound really good. But both of them over time just stopped working. And so two episodes ago, my sound I thought was pretty bad. Um, cause mm. it like the thing was kind of falling apart. And so I got a much simpler thing, way fewer options, but I'm hoping it doesn't stop working over time. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I think you sound good. All right. Well, thank you. But I'm not the audio whiz that you are. I don't think I have a good ear for it. I've, I'm interested in turning knobs. I can never tell if it sounds good or not. But anyway, how, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, I had some, I feel like it's been a while since we talked. Um, it, two weeks always seems long, way longer than one week like we used to do. And then I think this was like a three week gap or maybe it was a two week gap. I don't know. Um, it feels like we haven't talked in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, uh, yeah, I think it was three weeks, but uh, neither doesn't of us Doesn't it feel weird? Like, <laughs> like this new cadence, like, doesn't it feel like long, long enough where it's like, what did we talk about last time? I can't remember. Whereas like yeah. last, when we were weekly, it felt like we could, I don't know. I just felt like we had a continuous conversation more so. Yeah. It was like a part of the routine when it was weekly. Whereas now with biweekly, it's like, oh, oh my, there's a podcast today. Like, <laughs> do I have any topics to talk about? <laughs> yeah, It's different. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I've kind of hit a, I think, May was really challenging for me. Um, I don't know if that was coming through in the last uh, episode, but uh, and maybe the one before that. But like, it was a gauntlet of personal travel, work travel, uh, feeling like I'm failing at everything, <laughs> succeeding at nothing. Um, every time I tried to fix something, like you know, I'd fix that thing, but another you know plate would you know break and mm-hmm. uh, fall and break. And so um, anyway, I'm I'm coming out of that and feeling better. Um, uh, but I had a, like a really big learning today um, where this, I guess it was kind of recently, but then I acted on it today and it made me feel so much better. And that has, it has to do with partnerships um, and how it's a little bit different with a partnership than an employee. Like um, oftentimes employees just want to like, you just focus on like what their roles and responsibilities are and you want to clarify them. And if they're clear and the, the responsibilities are being met, like, generally everyone's happy, you know, but in a partnership, there's this weird sort of like, 
evolution. It's not like someone reports to you, the business changes and like you're both responsible, like your responsibilities are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I can't explain it exactly. But what I realized was I wasn't clear on what JD needed from me to, to, to know that I was being a good partner to him. And so I was worrying about whether I was doing enough mm. uh, to, you know, you know, be a good partner. Um, and I guess that's, this applies also in like, if you're a boss of someone and you're full time, like knowing whether, what, what that person thinks you need to do to be their good boss, like be on the same page with that's like pretty important. Um, but I hadn't really thought of it in this partnership case, but like, anyway, we talked this morning and I was like, what are the things I need to do to know that I'm being a good partner? Like, and I think like the list is probably shorter than what I think it is. Um, and we got really clear on what those things were and, just stress for me evaporated. Like I looked at my to-do list and, and 90% of the things that I'm failing on don't like fall into one of those buckets. Um, gotcha. So you so just, thought you were failing, but he didn't think you were failing. Yeah. So is uh, there anything, was he just like, everything's good and now you have clarity or were there things he said where you're like, Oh, I actually should be doing maybe a little more of this or. Yeah. There's, so there's some things came out of it where it's like, no, I don't care about that. I care about this. Um, it's like, Oh, okay. Well that's actually easier for me to do. And, than these other things. So, uh, one of a couple of things came out of it. Um, one was, uh, you know, I think there are three things that I need to focus on. Um, one is, um, just making sure there's enough money in the bank. Like that I'm kind of a Mm. financial partner in that regard. It's like, as long as the business plan can be funded, like that's I'm delivering. And so it's Uh, not that there wasn't enough money, but he needs to know there's enough money. Yeah. Yeah. That's my job. Like if there is like check, and there is right now, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, and can I just pause real quick for anyone listening? I actually think this is a really valuable thing for bootstrap founders to do with employees, like even non-partners. Like people worry about this, I think, way more than they should. I just think it's human nature. And because I kind of thought like it was obvious we have enough money, and like don't don't worry yourself with it. And I've found that uh, once or twice a year, it's good to say to the company like we have money in the bank. We made money over the last twelve months. Like pe- people really like to hear that. Yes. Yep. So, um, two, uh, so that was one, two is, uh, related to like my recurring sort of product operations work related to no code, ma- like being like the no code maintenance person, not like doing anything new, just keeping it running. Um, and that's pretty like low effort and I'm, del- I've been delivering on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing is where I think we were, I was like doing the wrong things. And that is, uh, what I, he would call like just generating leads for him. Um, he just wants lead, like people to talk to. Um, yeah. and so it's like just kind of rain making a little bit from, uh, intro- like making introductions to my network or, uh, improving SEO when I have time so that more traffic comes in. And then like when the, t- we have good SEO already, like doing a better job of capturing, you know, those people who are coming to the site and teeing them up for a conversation for him, things that he, you know, isn't like folk, like his, his skill set. he historically hasn't focused on, so he doesn't necessarily have the skill set to do, nor is it a good use of his time. And so, um, those are the three things and, um, in order, like money in the bank, like check, if that's done, then move to the next one, check. And then if that's done, move to the next one. And so I'm delivering on two out of three of them. And instead of focusing on the third one, I'm doing other things that don't matter uh, Mm. to him, like worrying about messaging and, you know, brand, uh, you know, point of view and, you know, onboarding improvements and website improvements, like, and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. 
So does that mean he doesn't need you to worry about it because he's going to worry about it? Or is he just like, neither of us need to worry about that stuff? Neither of us need to worry okay. about that right now. Until we have tons of people coming to the website and we're optimizing for conversion, stop worrying about messaging on the website. Until we have tons of people signing up, uh, stop worrying about the onboarding flow. Okay. Because um, uh, in our last episode, you were talking a bit about like messaging and redoing the website and stuff. So that's kind of on hold now. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I love that. I just love the feeling of like, you've got this thing, it's going to be a lot of work and you're just like, oh, delete, Done. you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think like that's one key learning is that like when you're taught, when you are a partner with someone being clear about like, not necessarily what your job is, but like what it, what are the check boxes to saying like, you're a good partner. Yeah. Um, hmm. And I got clear on that today and now it's like, okay, I have a list of things. Like I have a list of boxes now I can just make sure I'm checking and I know I, that JD's saying I'm going to be a good partner. Yeah, cool. Okay. Did the did the reverse happen? Did did he ask you what he needs to be doing, and did you have any interesting things there? Yes, and so that led to a conversation. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, and so I I said like at the end of the day, like there are two things that I worry about. One is like your happiness, like doing the job today, so that you know, and then making sure that we're on track to be in a position where you're happy doing this for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. and so that all leads to results and growth of the organization. Like it's very simple. And it leads to like a very clear outcome that we've already aligned on. And that is getting to a certain number of clients by the end of the year. Um, and so I was like, great. Um, why aren't we just talking about that in our meeting and nothing else? <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> and so um, what, what I realized, and this is, I'm going to transition into kind of a separate topic here, which is, um, but, it, but it's very related, which is like, I have made the mistake of, I believe this, of prioritizing efficiency over effectiveness. Um, I wanted to like, I was idealizing like getting control over the business and like managing it systematically um, and wanting to um, sort of focus on like how we're doing certain things so we can repeat it versus just, you know, going and doing the thing and getting the outcome done by any means necessary. And I, I this, I came into the meeting thinking that was, that that was a problem, but that JD's answer to those questions, like quickly, you know, like validated that. And so we made a huge pivot to like where we're focusing <laughs> our conversations on. It's like, we don't care about how anymore. All mm. we care about is marching to that number where JD's, you know, JD's happy. JD, like we're, and we're hitting our number. We're on nothing else matters other than hitting the number. And so what, what, like, I think I go back and forth. I've done this a couple of times, but like, I'm now convinced that like, it doesn't matter and when you're in survival stages, control doesn't matter. Like when you like at the end of the day, you just got to go do what you got to do to like survive. And that's the mentality we need to have for this time period together. Because if you think about like, why wouldn't this work out from a partnership standpoint, most of it's around like, do we have enough clients to pay enough money to retain JD? Like that's yeah. like, like survival of the business at its core. It's like, so nothing else matters. Um, except like getting to that point where it's survival, like repeatability goes out like the window, like until we hit some threshold. And so anyway, um, I, I just think like tasks, like how, what you're doing doesn't matter if it's not leading to an outcome that is desirable. And so we are shifting our focus almost entirely to like, uh, uh you know, if, if the outcome isn't getting moved, it doesn't matter. Um, and you know, we have a, a bottleneck. Outlook, right? If this isn't tackling the bottleneck, it's it's not worth work worth doing. Yeah, exactly. So, 
if it's not, you know, if we're not, if this isn't leading to the outcome, let's not even talk about it. Um, let's not do it. And then, you know, honestly, like, let's just have no, like outside of the high level company overview stuff that we've talked about in a previous episode, like the values and like the, you know, strategic like concepts behind the business, do whatever we need to do to hit the number and let's just yeah. go do it. Now, having said that, there, there's a lot of hand waving going on there where it's like, well, yeah, in order to go do it, you do have to have some kind of a plan, right? Yeah. Like if you're just like, JD, stop, ta- stop talking about that. Go do it. And he's like, but I'm talking about doing it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't mean that. I think like, I think a good example of this, I don't mean that example, but like a good example of this would be like getting focused on, um, you know, how many exactly how many reach outs do we need to do to get to one conversation? Who cares? Let's just go have as many conversations as we can. Once we get to this number of like outcomes that we need, we'll do the math later. We'll do the math later and reflect on whether we want to repeat it again. That makes a lot of sense. We're we're going through this right now with our marketing thing where, you know, we're big enough. Our revenue is big enough that it's kind of, it's tempting to be like, well, you know, if, if we can't bring in, you know, a thousand in new MRR per month from this channel, it's not going to be worth it. But like nothing starts out at that. And so we have to just do these one-off things and we, we still haven't cracked it, but like we, we're trying to be in this mentality of like, we're going to, we're going to try to get some customers the old fashioned way like you are, and then see if we can scale it from there. Cause if you start from the beginning saying this needs to be scalable, like nothing can live up to that. Like this is the classic it's, innovator. And it's dilemma. paralyzing. Yeah. Yeah. If people go, you start chasing your tail. Um, and uh, anyway, I, the, the, what kind of what one question that led to this um, sort of for me was what would like I think what would I do if I were JD? It's like I would be doing the most unscalable crap ever and just throwing mm-hmm. so many noodles against the wall and like I'm I felt like I'm, I I was const- not unintentionally like constraining JD from just doing that right because when we've talked before that it was like you know get sixty leads from LinkedIn and reach out to this and when maybe what he should be doing is like yeah spend some time on LinkedIn but also like. Oh, I drove by uh, a thing that said there was an event happening today. Maybe I'll go to that event and see see how it goes. Like that type of exactly. thing. Exactly. The stuff yeah. that's just like spontaneous and just momentous, like get shit rainmaking. You know, one of my greatest regrets is in business that didn't matter at all, but it was just like, we're, we've never been good at like marketing gimmicks, but we had a good idea once and didn't do it. And it was at Dreamforce, like Salesforce's big conference. Have I told you this before? Oracle hired a bunch of people to stand outside of it. Have I told you this? You've told me. Yeah, I'm aware of the story, but like, okay. What, have what, I said this like your... on, maybe I said this like two weeks ago on the podcast. I don't what's know. What's your story? The story is, so there are these people standing outside the conference with balloons. They work at Oracle and they're like decked head to toe in like Oracle gear. And they have balloons that say like Oracle number one is still the number one CRM. This is before Salesforce was number one. And we were like, we should go there and get signs that say West Wing CRM, like 1,231st CRM. Like, you know, just make a joke about how small we were. Yeah. I think that that would have had a decent shot of like getting on TechCrunch or something. And I regret that we didn't do that. Those kinds of like really creative, like one-off cheap marketing hacks. Like, why don't we try those more? Like, why are we, is that just our personality or is it, um, is yeah. like, the gimmicks like that, like you do enough of them, one of them's going to hit. And there's a t- so there's a type of person who just sees these gimmicks everywhere. Like if you if you listen to my first million, those guys every experience they have in life, like some opportunity stands out to them of like how to do some weird Twitter thread on it or whatever. <laughs> I've only had this one idea in my life, which is why I regret not. Do- it wouldn't have worked, but like I regret not doing it because I didn't realize how precious that one good idea was. 
Yeah. So like what one that comes to mind when I think about this is like, I was at a, a CEO conference or something like back in the day. And, um, some, this came up as like a, a, a like a conversation, like it was a, a, a talk session at the event. And the guy who was talking was like, one of the things I used to do was he would rent a llama, um, <laughs> and just walk it down the street. Um, and, uh, it, it somehow tied into like, he was, it was related to like the fabric he was using and the clothes he was trying to sell for his brand. But mm. like that, that just, the llama was really cheap and everyone wanted to stop and ask him questions. And pretty much everyone who stopped and asked him because it was a mass market good, like was a prospective customer. And he used that to get his initial customers. Yeah, like that's amazing. It's just so simple. And it's incredibly unscalable. It's not like, okay, there's a llama on every street corner now. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, who cares? Like, what a great idea. And I, d- yeah. I would never even think to do that, nor would I, I probably never would do that, but what a brilliant like little thing to do. And there's all kinds of little gimmicks like that you could do. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I heard another one where it's like, just, um, if you're trying to, uh, sell something related to food, like go stand out next to Chick-fil-A and offer to pay people, uh, pay, buy people a, fee, a free fry and ask them questions about, you know, their hmm. preferences. Like that's a good way to get clients on, on food. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I think that the reality is just do anything. Yeah. Just, I'm sitting here in my house in front of my computer. Uh, just do anything other than that. You know, <laughs> oh, what's going on with your, in your world? Um, so I thought maybe I'd start with a question for you. We're getting, so we're still experimenting with marketing stuff. Unfortunately, no real traction yet. Um, running experiments, I'm feeling good about the process, but, uh, just nothing, nothing has worked really. Uh, I mentioned software advice is uh, the the place we buy leads from is sort of coming along. Our big problem there is just volume. That's not my question for you, but just update. Volume is tough. Although I wrote this on Monday and then since then we've gotten this big surge of leads. So you never know, but I get the impression buying leads is not like uh, we were kind of doing what we just said. We were like, let's buy a few. Let's see how it goes. It was going okay. And then we're like, all right, let's ramp it up. And they're like, you're already buying them all. Like we're getting like two per week. Is this all you've got? Um, so we may have hit a wall there. Uh, but the, uh, another thing we're doing is like Google AdWords, like SEM stuff. And the thing I was wanted to ask you about is just like how you historically have tracked marketing results. So we have like reports that are like, you know, this ad got us this conversion or whatever, but it's not really tied to revenue. Like if you look at Google analytics, if you look at, the AdWords dashboard. Have you ever found a good solution to this? So, um, not really, but, but in, in like if, one cool thing about HubSpot, for example, is that it automatically like associates, uh, this type of information with opportunities that get created. So, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, uh, you should be able to report on revenue. Like in an idea you, you want, as long as you can tie opportunities, you know, so we, or deals back to close yeah. one deals back to um, the Google group or campaign and then associate the cost of that campaign, you know, relative to the deals that were won, then you can get some ROI analysis. But I've had a, I've had a, you have to, I don't know how to do it if you don't have a system that does it for you. I, I HubSpot yeah. just kind of did some magic. It's called the general uh, term for this is closed loop reporting where closed loop reporting. Yeah. Okay. Where you have a lead that, you know, is generated that, Costs some, you know, some amount of money, and you can figure that out, and then you know, like the result of that lead uh, from a closed loop standpoint. Gotcha. Do you have yeah, that right. information? 
Well, we have the information in two different places. Right now, we have our own like homemade reporting that I built like twelve years ago. Uh, that's actually pretty good. Like, I mean, it's ugly and stuff, but it, it, it once someone gets to our site, it like knows what ad they came from and uh, takes that all the way through to like, did they sign up for a free trial? Did they pay? You know, it's because it's all our data. I, I actually think like building homemade analytics like this has some merit. The thing is, unless we want to start integrating with the AdWords API, which we're not going to do. Uh, we don't have like impressions and click-through rate and quality score and that stuff. So right now we're kind of putting both of those those two different sources into a spreadsheet. It's just kind of tedious. Yeah. I mean, unless this kind of makes me, the thing that's coming to mind is like, have you outgrown your own CRM as a company? Um, yeah, I can't, to... we can't use HubSpot, man. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I, <laughs> How would that work? Well, I know it feels, um, but it's a really interesting question though. Like at what point does less annoying CRM um, that you're building for a five person company not work for less annoying CRM, the company? Yeah, we, we actually used to talk about that a lot because back in the day we were like, we're going we're gonna to grow and become a thousand person company. And it was pretty clear we would outgrow our product because we didn't want our product to be a good fit for a thousand person company. That's less clear now because it's like we're 20 people and maybe in a year or two we'll be 21. And I'm kind of like, I think we should be able to be good enough for that size. Although it's less of a size thing and more of a, like how automated are you thing. There are a lot of 20 person companies that are like, our sales guys have their Rolodex and enter it into a, a spreadsheet, you know, and they could be using us. Whereas everything we do is very low touch, highly automated. And like our products just not meant for that. Um, so I hear you. And in a sense, we already like we use front like for somewhat CRM aspects. Um, yeah, we could potentially use HubSpot as a marketing reporting tool, not as a CRM. Yeah. And, um, but again, you're going to end up with the separate data. Like, yeah, we're not going to, to, to be clear. I have no join. interest in doing that, but like we could. Is there a tool I don't know of, a tool other than like a CRM <laughs> that... Uh, yeah, like does, would Panel do this? I wonder. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure yeah. like, I'm sure that like as long as you could hook up any, any like analytics tool that you could hook up and get data from the different systems that you're using and, and figure out how to tie them together. That's basically what you're doing in a spreadsheet anyway. So, right. you, so there the should be a tool is, that does that. Yeah, it's not the, it's not a question of does it have the, the revenue information and the website traffic. The question is, does it integrate with the AdWords stuff? And mm -hmm. probably that's, that's more rare than like everything integrates with the website traffic. Like put this JavaScript snippet on it and you get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So probably we'll just keep doing the spreadsheet thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That sounds <laughs> If right. any listeners have any amazing solutions, just let me know. Um, yeah. Have you ever thought, like, wh when do you hire some, who is the analyst at your company that provides insights to people to make good, better decisions about their jobs? Um, uh, Bracken is doing that right now. I kind of, we're in the early stages of this and I don't know what it's going to look like long-term, but my brother Bracken, who's the other co-founder has a PhD in something not dissimilar from data science. Um, he doesn't do data science for us. He does DevOps, but he's starting to like build tooling to be able to like, you know, get answers to questions very quickly for us. So I think that'll be useful. Cool. Yeah. I just, it, it's an interesting question. Like when do you need someone whose job it is to be the insight giver and like how empowered are people at less than like CRM to go get these answers to these questions? Um, and like, even it, it's not just limited to marketing. It's like customer service as well. Like does customer service, I guess front probably provides a lot of the insights that they need from a volume standpoint, like where, or where do they go, I guess, yeah. for, um, for their, like how do they know that they're at capacity or not at capacity 
Um, how do they forecast? Um, how do they how do they know quality of service retroactively? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I can talk a little about how we do. I, I know this isn't you weren't asking exactly, but just because you said, I can talk yeah. a little about how we do that in customer service. Because Michael, who's the head of that team, is like he's not an engineer by by background, but I think he kind of has an engineering mindset, like kind of tooling problem solving type stuff. And so he's done a pretty much a no code. Anal he's built his own analytics stack, basically, where he kind of pulls data in from... Uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> it's just such a, a, a king thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> B building your own tool set. Well, and sorry, not like, not like coded it himself. I just mean he has like, in Notion, he has a set of things that pulls data from various places. I think it pulls it all into Google Sheets, but then like builds reporting that oh, you can cool. see in the, the wiki. Oh, so he's no coded like strings, some stuff together. That's very cool. Yeah. So it's like some of the data comes from front, like how many emails are we sending and stuff like that. But I think Calendly and Demodesk are two of the bigger places we get because Calendly we use when a customer schedules a call with us. So they provide data on like how many calls were booked and what type and what were the sources coming from. So we actually just turned off like if you're watching our beginner's guide videos, we we had a link at the bottom. It's like, do you want to call with us? We just turned that off because the reporting showed like we're getting a lot of calls from that. But it's like if you're watching the beginner's guide, you should keep watching it rather <laughs> than schedule a call. Um, so we have some data from that. We have data on calls coming in. So he basically has all these charts that are like, you know, oh, Fourth of July happens, call volume drops dramatically, and over time he can look at it and be like, huh, for some reason our demos are increasing, but our emails are decreasing or whatever. So it's not like Why? super yeah. sophisticated, but he can he can do that level of analysis. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And it, that's one of those things that I, I've talked before about the moat you build of just like over time, you get more and more sophisticated. Like when we started, we didn't have any of that. And just every six months, there's like a new little report that someone built. And it's like, if someone wants to start a new company and do customer service better than us, like good luck catching up to all of this stuff. Like there's just this mountain of institutional crap that you have to build over time. Yes, it, indeed. Yeah. It's awesome. Anyway. I want to be where you are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to be where you are in that having ideas for growth. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, um, so, so, uh, I don't know if that helped on the ROI thing. Like, do you have anything else, um, update wise? Um, yeah. So I mentioned that the, uh, the volume issue with, um, software advice. The other thing I'll say here, just like an idea we had recently. So, you know, we're talking about kind of product like growth type stuff. Um, you, I know you're, you're pushing me to do like more directly product led growth, which I agree with. And we're going to do, but one of the things we want to do, or I shouldn't say we want to do, we've been talking about, I, I, are we big enough to be more of a platform than we are? And let me just run a thought by you. So we don't, we have an API. It's not great, but like we are very close to having a really good API that we got almost for free. Like we improved our internal API that, that our app uses to talk to the back end. And we're just like making that available to customers more or less. And there's a little bit of work to do, but it'll be good. At that point, we were toying with the idea of like, what if we just went and found other, comp other SaaS companies that are smaller than us and said, we'll give you $10,000 if you integrate with us or something along those lines and try to jumpstart because that could be a good deal for them because not only do they get the money, but like we have 25,000 users and if they're smaller than us and they're, they'll be the first app of their kind in our ecosystem, we could send them some customers potentially. Uh, and the thought is maybe we could jumpstart getting a little bit of a platform play going there. And what, like, what is driving 
what does this do for you? I guess um, does it get you more sign? Is this like a roadblock to signups? Is it a customer request? What, what's the outcome yeah, you're looking the, for? The the thought here is two twofold. One, it makes the product better. That's not product led growth. I get, but like that's a nice freebie. Um, but the other one is then we get their customers in the same way they get ours, and we're the bigger fish in this relationship. But if we do this with a handful of companies, could it add up? And then hopefully you hope it becomes self like self sustaining, where it's like. Long term, we don't have to pay them ten thousand dollars. Like companies want to integrate with us because we have this cool ecosystem. No, it's it's interesting. I, I want I I'm curious how many um, customers that are perfect for you that you miss out on just because you don't integrate with a really common tool that they were looking that they buy before they buy your CRM. Right. Um, that drives their CRM decision. Um, and that's th- really. I don't think this question. would help with that because like the the ones that they've already heard of aren't the ones we would be integrating with as much. It's not like they want constant contact, and so we're going to go pay constant contact to build the integration. It's more like some nobody no one's ever heard of. Um, but they still have some customers, presumably. But mm-hmm. so this led to a... Well, actually, let me pause. Yeah, so you said interesting, basically, is your takeaway from that, not... Yeah, well, I guess um, it, it, I, it seems like... Uh, yeah, it seems like a good idea. And then is the long-term goal to maybe buy some of these products and... like build them into the app or is it like to build it just seems like like um this is maybe an experiment type thing more so than like a slam dunk to me but yeah, yeah something agreed. worth trying and i like the idea of like spending 10 grand versus uh, your resources on it to see if it works and then right. if it works you can do more of it but it's got uh, yeah i mean it's cool i like it yeah and yeah, also like we want, so for example, we integrate with MailChimp right now. Our integration's not great. Um, we want someone to come and build like a really tight one where it's like, you know, when someone changes the status on a pipeline, it automatically starts a drip campaign on their end or whatever. Uh, we're not going to build that with MailChimp, but someone else could build it with us and that'd be cool. But so that led us to this. So we need to figure out who to partner with if we were to do this, because, you know, there are a million SaaS companies out there and many of them, our customers maybe aren't a great fit for them and vice versa. Um, and that led to like uh, an interesting thought of like, I don't think there's anyone out there curating software in a thoughtful way for small businesses. If we went out, like we'd have to go out anyway and decide who are we going to approach and offer the 10,000 or I mean, I'm using that as a placeholder number, offer that to people. How do we find those companies? How do we evaluate them and decide which ones we actually want to pay this money to? If we've done that work, is there a byproduct of this? That's maybe like a content site or something like that. That's like, hey, small businesses, we have done the research and we found the companies that we really trust that we think are good for a, a certain type of business. Yeah, I think that I've, I've run. A, I know a comp, I know one website that does this, but you're probably already on it. Um, what was the name of it? Small business software. Yeah, there um, there are a lot. Well, sorry, good. Um, I can't remember the name of the company, but it was like small business something. Um, but it had. Are you you're probably already on it. Yeah, I might not know about that specific one because there's a lot, but if you like Google this, all the results are like G2 type stuff where great websites, I think G2 is really good and valuable, but they're not exactly curating anything. They're just like, here is, you know, people can come and here's a list of everybody as opposed to like what I want is a wire cutter for small business software where it's like, we used it all. We tried it. I'm not going to give you 20 email marketing tools and rank them. I'm just going to tell you which one to use. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. So uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but I figure if we're doing the API play anyway, that might be a byproduct of it. It could be like a little mini site or something like that. I love it. If anyone else out there wants to do this instead, 
do it and we'll uh we'll spawn we'll we'll buy ad space on your site or something <laughs> yeah go get a bunch of traffic and let us pay you for that traffic yep exactly we actually just had this one one of our themes that you and i often talk about is marketing channels almost always dry up we did have one of these sites in the crm space that kind of we were very we were their very first advertiser ever they were nothing at the time we actually got some really good ROI on it. It went great. And now all the other CRM companies know about it and like our ROI tanked. So this is just how marketing goes. You have to like, you have to get stuff early before everyone else knows about it. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Back to you. What's, what's next on your list? Well, there was another acquisition in the, um, in our space and I would call our space like the personalized wow. benefits and individual health insurance space. Um, so how many companies uh, are there left after all these acquisitions? It's crazy. <laughs> uh, so uh, take command health, which is our primary com- competition that people keep, um, but like several years behind us, um, they probably caught up at this point uh, with people keep, I, don't, I would be interested to know what like the customer count comparisons are. Um, they, they, um, they bought a Y Combinator company um, and I, you know, I, I linked. I, you can in the note I've linked to it. Um, but the, mm-hmm. the company was called Savvy. Savvy had reached out to me. They reached out to JD. Um, you know, a year, over the years, uh, given our experience in the space, and they built a really cool platform um, focused on HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements for larger companies. And uh, what I can't tell, I don't know the details behind this acquisition, but it like looks like uh, one of those things, like probably driven by the reset, like the hot raising interest rates in the in the market. Yeah, um, like they couldn't raise the next the, round and had to get out. Yeah, and, and so it's. I, I think it was probably like a. I can't tell if it was a technology, or and or a talent acquisition, but like the people who worked at Savvy were like really smart people um, for the benefit space, <laughs> and right. uh, and so like t- I can't tell what Take Command wanted to do, but like the the press releases Take Command acquires them to uh, expand their benefit, their platform. Um, but it's really interesting to see a, sort of this consolidation happen in the space um, where like I played for so long and we used to be the only game um like the last recession we were the only people doing this um mm-hmm. and now it's like uh it's like like a marketplace of like like companies um so i don't know what this means i just thought it was interesting um and uh to me it makes me feel like there's a real market here and i'm not wasting my time on some idea that like this there's a real thing happening a real movement and uh i i got juiced by it more so than um, anything else, but it's like, man, take command, do, you know, is ahead of me, even though I was, a, is now ahead of me, even though we were ahead of them at people keep. And it's, um, I'm a little bit envious, I guess, of the things yeah. that they're doing uh, in the stage that they're at. I'm curious. So in the CRM space, I'm always excited when a company, a competitor either gets acquired or raises venture capital because every CRM company starts out at our level, like simple product for small businesses. And the, the more money you raise, or if you get acquired, you're basically raising expectations where it's like, it's not enough to, to be making five or 10 million a year. You have to be way bigger. And the only way to do that is to go after enterprise clients and they move up market and abandon their initial clients. And so they leave us to be the only long-term player in that space. But you're working in the individual insurance space where maybe like, what does it mean to move up market? Like, do you think that dynamic exists in your space? Yeah. Um, I think uh, not from an up. So, so I think like if you think about our space, it's not just individual health insurance. It's really employee benefits with individual health insurance as the solution for employee benefits because uh, employment still drives health insurance. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the day, um, these companies, the, the companies that I'm talking about here, they serve businesses. Um, and so moving up market to them is, you know, moving from 10 person companies to companies with hundreds of employees. Um, 
from an individual health insurance standpoint, like there's a very difference between like being consumer driven and focused and then like getting bought by like a, a, a large benefits consulting firm and, and serving and then like being asked to serve, uh, you know, employees of companies aging into Medicare. Right. And so there's mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of these acquisitions are more geared toward the B2B space. And so if like, uh, take, takes like the savvy company that they, they had individual health insurance service, um, for businesses. And I'm sure they would have helped a consumer, um, if they'd come, but because they're no longer on the board and they're going to savvy, they're probably, you know, not going to be available for individuals. It's more of a focus for, you have to be a user on take commands platform for employers to get access to the consumer service. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's not this is there's not really a go up market concept, but there is a degradation or elimination of consumer services that probably does happen in an event like this. Yeah. This is one of my big constraints. Like if I were to start a new business, you know, that you're supposed to ask yourself, like, what don't I want to do basically? Or, or what are, what are my rules for starting a business? And one is it's got to be something that a really, really well-funded company wouldn't want to do. <laughs> that's I'm, I'm working on one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Um, um nice. cool. So, uh, I've got a handful of we've in our little notion doc, we've got like a rants and shout out section. I've got a, a few here. Go um, for it. so one thing I want to talk about, um, my dad sent me an email, uh, forward it from Seth Godin. I assume you're familiar with him. Do you, do you follow his newsletter or anything? I used to years ago. Is he still writing like a daily, like I think it's thing? still daily. This guy <laughs> oh must've, it's been like 20 years. This guy must've put out more content than anyone else alive. <laughs> Because I also used to read it, and then I, eventually I was like, okay, I've got enough marketing platitudes here. Uh, <laughs> but my dad forwarded me one that I, I don't know that it necessarily had anything like that I hadn't heard before, but it just reminded me of something. Um, he basically talked about the, the title is Why Organizations Slow Down. Um, and it went through why they do, and it gave a few reasons. And one of them is what he called handshake overhead, which is a familiar concept, I think. But the idea that the more people involved in making a decision, the more you know, handshakes as it puts it, but like the more connections between people that all need to agree there are. And so with a really, really small group, you can make decisions a lot faster, basically, right? This is not a new concept, but mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of, of like I, a lot of people, including people in our space are really, really into delegation. Um, and I'm not like opposed to it per se, but I do think people maybe over delegate sometimes because I think there's something powerful about it. if you're small enough of a company that one person can make all the important decisions, as empowering as it is to say to employees, you know, you can go make this, you can go make that. It does create a certain amount of bureaucracy doing that. And I think there's some merit to being like, I'm going to be the decision maker for as long as I can, because that's the way we're going to keep making decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like a thing here where it's like, there are, there's, what do you delegate? Like there's a difference between delegating a task and a dis- right. and then delegating like a, a pretty important um, decision. Um, yeah. Right. So like, I mean, what was, what was like the, what, how does this apply um, to like a startup to last company? Does it mean like retain? Um, does it re- mean retain like certain things or like don't hire people or what, <laughs> not? What? Don't hire people. I don't think, okay. but like stay involved. Like there, there's a type of, it's not quite startup to last or indie hacker, but like, again, to reference my first million, if you listen to that, they, there's like this group of fairly prominent entrepreneurs that are, I think, mostly bootstrappers or raising maybe friends and family type stuff, but they're not like going the VC route. And they're like, 
buying a bunch of dry cleaners or doing the Airbnb thing or something. But like a big part of that mantra is like delegate everything and don't do any work, basically. Or, or it's not that don't do any work, but do like the highest impact work at, at all times. And I think like those people are way more successful than me. So I'm not saying that doesn't work or whatever, but just like a different approach is uh, hire people, trust them to do good work and all that. But it's okay. I'm 12 years in and most important decisions still go through me. And like those people on my first million wouldn't like that. And I'm never going to be as rich as them, but it does come with some advantages, I guess, is my point. And what are those uh, particular advantages? Yeah, just that... Um, there's a lot less infrastructure in place. There's a lot less process uh, because if if you're delegating important decision making, there still needs to be some sense of accountability. I think a lot of those companies lean really, really heavily into like KPIs and tracking metrics and stuff like that. It be it, you're basically running the business like a much, much larger business than it really is, um, and that maybe is nice for the founder's lifestyle, and it maybe is good for like if you want to scale real big. If you're gonna be a big company eventually, maybe start now, but. A lot of things can be done much, much more simply if you're just like, I have good intuition. Don't do anything super important that I don't know about. I'll just make sure we don't do anything I hate. You know, like it's just a much simpler business. And I think decisions can be made faster. Interesting. And so the the argument against delegation is effectively like it slows you down. When, the more you delegate, the slower you go. Yeah. The more bureaucracy there is. Yeah. Okay. I think net you, th this is the trade-off you have as any company grows. Each individual person moves slower, but the organization as a whole moves faster because you have more people. But like, I think there's a threshold where like, if you have a hundred people, you have no choice but to to go that route. But some people switch to that mode at ten people, and some people switch to that mode at thirty people. And I think in that ten to thirty phase, I prefer being acting like a smaller, simpler company than acting like one, like what you're going to be in the future. Cool. I don't know if I'm right, but uh, maybe I'm just like saying what I want. Um, I also just thought I'd call out like in that uh, email, blog post, whatever it was, newsletter. Um, he did say like two solutions to why organizations slow down. Um, I thought it was just kind of interesting because I never really, I knew all the problems for why organizations slow down. I hadn't thought about the solutions. He says the two ones are boring as a strategy, which is just like, yeah, move slower. You know, like he, he used Apple as the example where he's like, People don't expect a new iPhone or like that level of innovation from Apple every year anymore. What they want is for their iPhone to continue being the best phone. Um, so boring as a strategy is one option. And the other one yeah, he called structural bankruptcy, which is just like you're, the company's moving slow and it's not what you want it to be. Just like throw everything out and basically start over, which is scary. <laughs> why, why? I don't get that. Like, so once you get to, is this like once you get to a point where it's like not You've delegated so much, uh, like the only way to do it is to like either be okay being slow um, and boring or blow it up. By boring, I don't mean like slow exactly, but like safe, like just operate a big company well. Like that's, that's what he means by boring. Like, like you're a cruise ship. Don't try to go into the cave. Like, stay yeah, yeah, away, exactly. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Versus and then structural bankruptcy is like disrupt yourself. Like acknowledge that your current structure can't do the next big thing and do the next big thing in some other way. Like suck a bunch of money out of your main cash maker and use it to fund a fundamentally different structure at your company. Yeah. Self, self disruption. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I think of the two, like. As much as everyone, I think, wants to be like, I'm the risk taker disruptor, I think boring as a strategy is more my my speed. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you got a rant or slash well, th shout this out is, here. It's kind of related to this. Um, 
and you know, cause when you delegate like one thing, so there's like, in, I want to talk about capa- capacity. So I've been thinking a lot about this, obviously it's just related to my, you know, kind of tough may like I'm, I'm operating at such a full plate, um, in life right now that if like, I don't get, if I miss one hour of sleep on Monday, like it screws something up. Like there's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. I don't have any room for error. And so part of that's part of my conversation with JD. It's like, what, what can I stop like having to worry about so that I have some room for error so I can like get sick and not like get like just create the biggest problem ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like capacity on an individual level, but then like when you're delegating, there's also like, you have to think about capacity of the person of the person or the group of people or the organization that you're delegating to. Um, because like you, um, if, if you're at full capacity, yeah, it might be like pretty efficient. Um, but your ability, to, you know, to absorb, um, uh, unexpected events or change is extremely constrained. And so, um, I just, I I just want to revisit today, like the importance of a buffer for optimizing effectiveness, like the, like not just efficiency, but like outcome, like trading some efficiency for effectiveness. Um, and so I think like, I think like leg up health of the organization is doing a good job of this with JD, where he has a lot of buffer and time to think about like how to do things and that sort of thing. Um, and then, uh, I, I also think like, um, I am aware of this in general as a concept and I try to do a good job of it, like with my reports at windfall and that sort of thing, but I'm terrible at doing it for myself. Mm-hmm. I noticed. And, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, anyway, a couple of thoughts here. A plan without room for error is an unsustainable plan, um, and it will eventually catch up to you. Um, and what I mean, like a plan without room for error, means like when every hour of your day is accounted for. So if you look, if you pull up your calendar and you're in back to backs all day, which is like what I am, um, like you don't like you have no opportunity to absorb a bump in the road. Um, one bump in the road means you have to like cascade. Uh, if, you know, things that affect all kinds of different people. And then alternative, like the other side of that is that if something new comes along, that's really exciting, you can't even evaluate it or seize mm-hmm. or seize it, you know, if it's a good one. And so who knows how many opportunities you miss if you're on a full plate. Um, we, I think there's a good metaphor for this. We talked about recently, you were talking about your personal finances and how you like pulled out of the market in 2020 and haven't put money back in. We like a thing that's always seems strange to me is when people say like buy low, like buy it when the market dips, that means you had to have money sitting around doing nothing during that time. And yeah, it, it's a bad metaphor because I actually don't think you should have money sitting around, but like yeah. that idea, you have to have time sitting around so that you can invest it when the opportunity comes along. It, totally. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 when you're busy, it also protects like the, the concept, like the idea of a root problem. Um, you know, you, you, you end up symptom treating so you can just get through your day or, you know, get, not let it affect the other things, um, versus yeah. maybe like dealing with the root problem. Anyway, it's, um, I just, uh, I think like there's too far. Like, I think if you give yourself too much excess capacity and buffer, it, there's like, you lose the, um, the advantages of, um, you know, creativity that is created by constraint. Um, cause there's positive, you know, positives to operating within constraints. Like they make, it make, it creates this, um, urgency and, and thinking that doesn't exist by itself. 
Um, but anyway, I, I, I'm just at this place now where I'm like, I've overcorrected on busyness. Uh, I'm too busy. Yeah. So what are you going to like? I realize you're limited in what you can say about your job mm-hmm. at Windfall and stuff like that. But like it, it, for me or for if you're just like a total indie founder, the answer, here, there's all kinds of answers here. You just do less, just move slower, just accept that, like whatever. What, what about when you work with a group of people and you're not necessarily in charge of your expectations? Yeah. So I, I think um, so. So the way I'm applying this to my life. Um, so this concept can be applied to a biz, an organization. It can be applied to uh, a, a report, a, a role, a um, business model. Um, I'm, I'm applying it to my life, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I've got a number of things that I want to do. Um, and so I've gone through those things and, you know, I want to write, um, I want to pursue like a pelt. Um, I do want to continue to, uh, perform, you know, be at windfall. Um, I do, um, you know, want to be, uh, you know, a good partner to Sable and a good father to Oliver. So like, I have to like start cutting back on some, something, some things. Um, and I don't know, like, what are those things? So, you know, the two things that like, I think I have control over are, one is like a pelt. And that, that led to some really healthy conversation. Part of this like realization led to yeah. the conversations we already talked about in this episode of like, you know, Hey, um, I need to know where I stand with you and like what constitutes me delivering, meeting your expectations. And that's a lot less than I have on my list of things to do. So I've already created some buffer there where it's like, okay, I've got, I've, I've now got, I can, I can meet JD's expectations of a good partner. And then I have room now, if I have time in a week, like, I can do these extra things, but they're not expected of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, writing, um, you know, I think I've got to do something uh, different there. Um, by the way, I'm almost a thousand subscribers. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. It's kind of cool. Um, and I haven't but, really put out a bunch of new content lately, but like I, I, and you know how I feel. I, you get some value out of it that like I, I don't see, but like on your list of priorities, to me, this has always been the thing that like should get cut. <laughs> you it's, know? it's the most valuable men- for my mental health of anything, yeah. honestly. But like, you got to cut something. What are you going to cut then? Yeah. So I, 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 but I have cut, I've cut, so I've cut some like upheld stuff um, already. Yeah, was um, that enough though? I've seen your I don't calendar. Know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I can't like, yeah. Count using my calendar. Um, <laughs> you sent me a screenshot one day and I just went, <laughs> 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 like I um, got heartburn from looking at your calendar. Um, the other change that we made, I don't know if I shared this with you on the last podcast, um, but we, Sable and I flip flopped. Uh, I was watching Oliver in the morning and she was watching him in the evening and we flip flopped that three weeks ago. And I'm starting to see the impact of that. Cause now I have like, I can wake, I like to wake up at 5.00 AM in an ideal day. And I now have 5.00 AM to 9.00 AM unscheduled um, mm. five out of six days a week, um, five out of seven days a week. And so um, that means I can like, it's four hours of like blanks canvas time um, that I can use on whatever. That's an interesting hack. Cause like, I feel like it's be- you, you, presumably you're still getting sleep. So it means you're going to bed earlier, but like, mm. If someone comes home from work and is like, I'm going to work the next four hours to their wife and kid, that looks like, uh, no, I don't think you are. Uh, but if you wake up four hours early and you're like, I'm going to work the next four hours, that doesn't seem nearly as irresponsible. Exactly. So I now watch <laughs> Oliver at 5, 530. Um, if I if I need to do more windfall stuff, I'll stay up and do that before I go to bed. Um, and then, you know, I kind of wake up in the morning and I kind of balance that between like, what, like I just leave that for what I'm interested in working on and a lot of time that is windfall um but oftentimes it's you know spending a couple hours on writing um you know going for a run and listening to a podcast uh you know those kinds of things so that's it's still early so now you have to protect that time 
have to protect that time so much because yes. it'd be and so easy to be like, oh well, JD's up at seven. Oh, let's do a call at seven because it's easier or whatever. You just have to yep. make sure nothing gets booked, and you don't you don't also don't like the the night before say, oh, I'll just take care of this tomorrow, and then you've kind of got implicit scheduling. Yes. So those yeah. are the two those are the two big things. As and I'm trying, and it's too early to say, but like I can already tell I'm digging out of it. Um, so I know that this is working because mm-hmm. it's leading to like me being able to think. Um, uh, but it'll take a few more weeks to play out, but. Um, I, I don't want to give up anything, honestly. And so I'm not yeah. going to yet. Um, but I, uh, I'm trying really hard, but it's important. Buffer's important. It's so Buffer's important. important. And I now have four do hours of I buffer say, a day. Not as I do. <laughs> well, I have four, I've created four hours of buffer a day, which is actually pretty significant. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see it where, where that leads and it's already leading yeah. to good places. Cool. I will once again say the Phoenix project is my favorite book on this topic. Not for you. You're not going to read it. I know, but I have it on my list. It's on my list. I just have other things I want to read. So, uh, <laughs> if you had more buffer, you could read it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, cool. Uh, so maybe we can end it with my, I kind of have a two part shout out here. Um, so one of our listeners, Akshay, uh, suggested I listen to, um, the Vincent Wu interview or, or it wasn't really an interview, but he was a uh, guest on Indie Hackers. Do you listen to the Indie Hackers podcast? I, I haven't listened to podcasts lately um, a ton, but I um, I do uh, you know I, I do like um, Indie Hacker podcasts. Like, I, yeah. if you, is there a good recent one? There, there is. I highly recommend it. So I've got a two part here. One, I think the Indie Hackers podcast for me has gotten a lot better recently. Um, I always, I think Cortland's a great interviewer, but I don't like interviews. It's like just write a blog post or make a YouTube video. Like what the the the, the podcast two people talking to each other format is not appropriate when like all of the information is known in advance, in my opinion. I like it when people are having conversations and building off of each other in a way that you can't do with just one person recording their thoughts, you know? Uh, so Cortland now has a co-host, his brother, uh, whose name I'm spacing out on, um, but they do it together and sometimes have guests and sometimes don't. And there's a lot more conversation. So first of all, for anyone who used to listen to any hackers and then was like, okay, I got enough of it. I'd recommend giving it another shot. Uh, related to that, his brother, whose name I should be able to remember and I can't. Uh, Chandler? Chan- uh, no. Channing. Ch- Channing. 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 Yes. Sorry, Channing. Not that you're listening. Uh, he said something that I thought was really cool. <laughs> I think Cortland occasionally chimes, like, listens to our... I don't know, he yeah, he did, because we used to be in his podcast yeah. network, but then I was like, we're canceling the podcast, we're out, and I never told him we're back in. <laughs> and, then, and then he, like, deleted... I think he got rid of the whole podcast thing. Oh, did he? Yeah. Is this still it, up there? It wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good idea, just, you know... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, go- it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> no, it's still there. It's still there. Um, are we on it still? Uh, we are... Is he pulling in our, our feed? No, he pulled us out pulled of us. the podcast network. Now, oh, I man. emailed him and told him to do that. So I okay. think that's probably appropriate. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so Channing said something really interesting. He Because uh, they were, they were kind of like pontificating on the point of life and stuff. And he said a quote. This isn't from him. He was quoting someone else. But he said, to live a good life, live a good story. And then he specifically pointed out, like, what's a good story? Like, meaning, like, if, if it's not interesting to talk about your life, don't don't live like that basically. Um, but he made an interesting point, which is that all stories have like antagonists and conflict. Um, and that like a lot of, I'm, this is now he stopped talking. This is me editorializing. Like when I heard that, I was like, yeah, a lot of startup advice, especially for like indie hackers and like lifestyle type people is about making everything as easy as possible and about being really nice and being friends with everybody. And I've said many times on this podcast, how like, I feel like I'm more negative than so many other people. And this gave me like a little bit of like cloud cover for doing that where I'm like, yeah, 
if you don't have any enemies, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you need a little conflict to have a good story. That's fine. What do you think about that? Hey, if it makes you feel good and happy, do it. But, like, can you be, like, long-term happy and fulfilled with no conflict? No, I think, like, I think, um, well, I think what you're getting at is to, to accomplish anything meaningful in life, it requires uh, bruises and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, so yes, I, I mean, it requires adversity and adversity yeah, leads yeah. to, um, hate, uh, whatever <laughs> you want to say, like you know, in the way that you mean it. And, uh, yeah. I'm good being with it, a hater, not necessarily yeah. hating anyone, but you do it like we, we've talked about this too. It related, it, there's a big difference between hating, you know, the concept and hating the person. I think mm-hmm. you do a really good job of hating the behavior or hating on, uh, the, the approach, versus hating on the person. And I think that is like a really key nuance here mm-hmm. where you're not like calling out a person and being like, that person sucks. You're saying <laughs> Google, the organization sucks. Right. Or right. Apple, like, you know, their so pick UI an enemy sucks. and yeah. try to make it uh, <laughs> large enough that you're not being mean to, you're not bullying Individual. a specific person. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that anyway, to live a good life, live a good story. I thought that was interesting. So on to the recommendation, which was, Vincent Wu, who was the founder of CoderPad back in the day, I actually realized I had listened. This is the second time on Indie Hackers. I'd listened to his first one and loved it. I actually got a term from that that I use all the time, which is uh, optimistic nihilist. He referred to himself as like someone who doesn't doesn't believe anything matters and also is happy and optimistic. Um, I think that's a cool philosophy. Anyway, I'd strongly recommend listening to it. This guy's incredible. Like I've I haven't like had a role model in a long time, I feel like. And I listened to I, I listened to his new one and then went back and listened to his old one. And as I'm listening, I'm just like, man, I want to I, I wish I could talk the way this guy talks. I think he's like a great thinker. Uh really great podcast, I thought. Interesting. This is the indie hackers one. Vincent yeah. Wu. Vincent Wu. Yeah, cool. um, so I followed him on Twitter and I, I don't know. I'm sure there's other places to find what he's doing. But the problem is he sold CoderPad and now it seems like he's just like doing whatever the fuck he wants all the time. And what he wants is not to be putting out content for me. So I'm not sure how to get more <laughs> of him. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll reach out to him. Yeah, I might. I'm going, to San Fran- I'm going to San Francisco where he lives uh, a couple times later this year. So I might. I might. I, I am not the type of person, by the way, to reach out and be like, let's get coffee or whatever. But, you know, I might. We'll see. I, I'm not re- going reach to. Out Who am say, I kidding? <laughs> reach out to him and say, let's get a beer. Let's get a beer. Get he a does beer. say on the podcast, he might. He uh, he does. Oh, I forgot. Some hallucinogen. Uh, so I'm like, let, let's go trip together. I've, I've never done anything like that. But <laughs> let's go trip together, man. Is, is that a thing? Is that like, let's go to the cafe and uh, do some acid? <laughs> uh I am not involved with that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't have the buffer for that. Um, but, uh, I feel like something would go cr- incredibly wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think the first time you do drugs is in a public uh, cafe. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I just thought I'd give that shout out, and that's all I got. Cool, man. Well, I will. Um, I guess I'll see. When's our next podcast? Is it a couple weeks? Like, I think it's three three weeks again. Three weeks, and then we're back to the every other week schedule. Cool. I think. Um, I think I'm going to have some interesting updates in three weeks about the business. Um, Great. And so I'm excited to uh, talk to you then. Awesome. Look forward to hearing it. All right. Talk to you later.